Okay, good evening folks, or afternoon or morning, depending on where you're listening to or watching this. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback on any of the episodes we do, so please leave us comments in the uh, comments section on YouTube or via our website once we have that up and running. Welcome to the new Holy Fuck It's a Music podcast, a brand new podcast focused on highlighting Saskatchewan music and musicians. Uh, my name is Kevin Brown, and I'll be one of your hosts as we start to record these episodes. My co-host is also our first guest, Randy Woods. This makes this episode a little different than future installments, but we wanted to use this as a practice kickoff episode, and what better way than to interview a guy who's been around the Saskatoon music scene for around two and a half decades. Obviously, due to the social uh, distancing precautions we're all currently taking, uh, Randy and I are doing this episode remotely, um, so hopefully we'll have good luck with the technology. So, good evening, Randy. Hey, Kev. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing and good. Where are you I've been quarantined for quite some time now, so I'm getting a little, going a little crazy. Yeah, not too bad though. You've got, you've got your instruments, you've got something to do, you've got some beer, right? I do, I have all of those things. That's always good. So you were, you were born in Saskatoon, right? Or were you born elsewhere? I was born on, uh, in, on Vancouver Island, Port Alberni. Port Alberni. And how long did you live there before you moved out east? Uh, we lived there a couple of years that time, and then we moved to Saskatoon, and then back out to uh, Vancouver Island again, and then back out. So, all total, I lived out there for, I don't know, five years or something. Yeah. And so, what was, the, what was the music like in your house growing up? What types of things were you, were you exposed to? What were you listening to? Yeah, well, uh, in my house, it was, music was obviously, it was a, well, I shouldn't say obviously, music was a big thing. Uh, my mother played and sang, and uh, her her dad, my grandfather, did as well. Uh, and he was a Métis fiddler by the name of Clem Arcand. Uh, he could play fiddle, mandolin, guitar, sing, jig up a storm, you name it. And so uh, they had they had big shakers at their house, uh, and they'd play all that kind of Métis style of music, which of course at the time I had no idea that's that was Métis music. I just thought that was music. And so that was, was there a lot of sort of just picking up instruments and singing and playing around the house just growing up? It was just a thing that happened on, in the evenings or was it sort of more of a scheduled thing or? Yeah, you know, I, I suppose at my house, it, it, yeah, like, you know, my mom would always, would always play and sing and uh, we had an organ and, uh, you know, so I took some organ lessons when I was a kid. But as far as myself, uh, it was, you know, it was guitar and it was about, that was about 15 when I started playing, start, you know, for the yeah. first time. Yeah. But what about the radio? Did you guys have, would you listen to stuff on the radio or was it more sort of traditional rootsy kind of music or? Well, so whatever my, whatever influence my mother had on me beyond, beyond that, then, you know, everything was just the radio in town. It was uh, CKOM at the time and uh, whatever was on that was usually what, you know, what us kids liked, you know. So when did you get your first guitar? How old were you? I was, I, I think, I think 14, I think 14, my uncle actually got it at a garage sale and it was a Sears guitar and, uh, it just had the, the lower string. So the E, A, D and, uh, whatever the fuck the next one is. And, <laughs> and we never bothered putting the, the B and the E string on or, or I didn't bother cause I didn't know. And I, and we, he had hooked up a cord to, to, you plugged it into, you, I don't know if you remember 
the old uh, uh, record players that were uh, like a piece of furniture. My uncle yep. had rigged up a cord that I could plug into this into the stereo, and then I'd play along with whatever records that we had, or or do my best to play along with whatever records we had, and that's that's how I first first started playing, and it's just all by ear, done yeah. done done badly, you know. And so was that those old plastic Sears guitars? They were kind of like a plastic body or something, were they? Or? No, no, no. It was it was like real... it was wood. It was wood. It okay. was it was a it was a real guitar. Uh, you know, you get uh, you get all the strings on there, and I'm sure it sounded pretty good. <laughs> so, <laughs> how long did it take before you added the, the last two strings? <laughs> I don't know. Like a while, probably till I was probably till I was 15. I don't know. There was a song called uh, uh, "Thinking of You." Uh, and I can't remember who did it. Uh, some Canadian band, and that was one of the first riffs that I ever learned. It went, uh, thinking of you. That's how the lick went. So yeah. that was one of the very, very first licks I ever learned, uh, even before Smoke on the Water and Stay What It Happened yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And so was it a lot of Canadian content then? You, you could listen to a lot of Canadian bands growing up? Was that more so than being exposed to Led Zeppelin and those kinds of things? I, you know, honestly, it was just happened to be on the turntable. So, I, I you know, I yeah. probably didn't even know they were Canadian then. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, so it just wasn't wasn't a focus, yeah. No, it wasn't a focus. No. Uh, so any of those, yeah. any of the, obviously not that artist because you don't remember who it was, but any any of the sort of bands or artists that your parents listened to or that you listened to growing up, are any of those kind of stuck with you, and you'd still kind of go back and listen to some of that stuff, or is it, is it just way way in the distance now? Well, you know, maybe maybe some of that old old. Uh, country stuff, you know. I don't mind that some of that stuff nowadays, but honestly, I, I'm not exactly sure what else I was listening to. I suppose, uh, you know, I, I think Men at Work was when I was oh, like yeah. a kid, and uh, I think that stands up pretty well to this day. Who can it be now? That kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, Car- Cargo yeah. was the album. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And so did you listen to stuff like, you're talking about, you know, you mentioned sort of old country there, like Hank Williams, that kind of old, or Waylon Jennings, that type of stuff? That, yeah, that kind of stuff, exactly, yes. Yeah. I'm just going yeah, to I was listening to Yeah, I was listening to Hank Williams today, actually. Um, you kind of forget, because he's, it's so old now, and it's, it's so distant, you kind of forget how, he had some great guitar playing in some of those songs. Yeah, well, like how, Some, some how, lap steel, and just fantastic stuff. So that's, that's interesting, right? Because, you know, learning to play on, and I remember listening to a podcast with um, uh, Roger Daltrey, and he was saying that his first guitar, like, when he was growing up, is they, they couldn't afford them, so they used to make them. And so his first guitar was like, yeah. he'd, he'd just seen it in a shop, and he made it, and he said, the, he remembers that the fretboard was like a cricket bat. He said, he's, no wonder he couldn't play it, because it was like twice as thick as it should have been. <laughs> and so just your technique would, would suffer, suffer for that, right? So having four strings, and not realizing that you have these two extra it must have really... Early on, it would you know, inhibit how much you can play and what styles you could play. And but if you don't know any better, maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's it certainly. Uh, I think. Uh, I think jumping in uh, with both feet and not completely understanding what yourself what you're getting yourself into is probably a good thing uh, when you're first learning anything. Actually, especially music. Yeah. So, what was that experience like? Was it just countless hours just sitting thrashing around, just trying to figure out? Well, how the how the hell do I? What's a chord? How do, how do I tune this thing? Like, how do you just endless, yeah, endless well, hours of doing that? Yes, yeah, of course. So, first of all, I, I was lucky to have my uh, my mother who could play and and uh, yeah. 
teach me how to tune and all that kind of stuff and teach me a few of the basic chords. And then after that, it was just uh, countless hours of just listening and, and jamming. And by the time I got to high school, then I got some, I had some friends and uh, we would get together and, and, and hang out and, and learn how to play the latest, you know, poison song yeah. or something. And so you knew just enough to sort of share with each other. It's, hey, hey, I figured this out. I figured out he's playing this. Or I had a friend named Conrad, and uh, and his brother was a few years older, and he he could just lay just lay face melters all day and night. And so we would like pick his brain and you know try to learn what he was doing. And yeah, uh, you know, anytime anybody got a new a new album of any kind, we would rip over to the you know to his house and and listen to it, and you know. But with the vinyl thing, yeah. yeah, I remember someone calling, my friends calling, saying, hey, I've, I've got the new Van Halen disc. You want to come over and listen to it? It's like, you know, yeah. Well, nowadays, you just fire it up on YouTube, and it's, it's, not, it's not quite the same. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's, it's definitely, there's an experience well, there that's been missed on this generation. Yeah, it's just different. I remember it was uh, John Mayel and the Blues Breakers. My buddy Conrad yeah. got that record, and we went over, and we spent like the whole afternoon just listening to it and just trying to steal a couple licks here and there that we could add yeah. to our our repertoire not a bad re- not a bad lineup of uh, musicians in that band eh? yeah yeah they're they're all right yeah. <laughs> kind of hacky <laughs> so who were your early influences then did you have influences early on as sort of a you know, who was you, if you had a, a guy who was your guy who you always listened to and sort of looked up to the first guy i can really really think that where i really was like oh man like this this guy you know uh would probably be Stevie Ray, but Vaughn. But before that, there was a bunch of metal guys, and you know, I could never do the do the, you know, the big shred right from down to E all the way up, and yeah, you know, I could I could never do that anyhow. So, so finally, I saw somebody that was well. I mean, obviously, I can't play Stevie Ray either, but I just saw somebody that could, <laughs> you know, he was so good. He's playing in a style I liked so much, and it sat, his tone was so much better than those metal guys and. He just seemed like he yeah. had so much more to offer, but so, but really though, first, first, it you know, it it was it was it was the the, the I'm a child of the the eighties. It was it was the hair those hair metal bands that uh, that I really liked first. Uh, you know, Appetite for Destruction. I learned as many songs off of that album yeah. as I could, and uh, Girls, 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 Motley Crue. I learned as many songs of, off that one as I could, and. And you name it, just all all of that crap. So when you started jamming with friends, with that, you said that was high school, where would you do that? Would that be just in the basement of someone's house or did you have like a little space? Yeah, or? Yeah. yeah, just, you know, my mom and dad's front room mm-hmm. or uh, or the basement or my, you know, my buddy's house, you know, just yeah. bedrooms, you, you name it. Like uh, we actually did manage to play one one little gig when, when I was 15 at... Uh, at Holy Cross, they called it a coffee house, which is just open open stage. Yeah. Uh, and so me, Conrad, and a friend of mine playing drums went up and played, and we had no bass guitar, just a drummer, <laughs> two guitar players. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I sang one song, uh, and then the rest were just kind of these weird instrumentals, and yeah. And it was not, it wasn't good. <laughs> I, I, do, you re- do you remember the song you sang? I think Remember. I think maybe it was Run Run Away, Slade. Okay, okay. I think it was I think it was that one. I like black and white, dreaming of black and white. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
it's I, doable. I think so. It's not too, not too, too high, I guess. No, but. yeah, yeah. It was either that, you know, we might have done Back in Black too. I don't remember. Yeah, because <laughs> the other guy knew the solo. Conrad knew the solo, so, <laughs> so that's why that got picked. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so how did it go down? How many how many people were there? Oh shit, I don't remember. Maybe I don't know. Maybe fifty or whatever. I was I was yeah. shaken, shaken yeah. my belief. Yeah, I was very concerned that my knees were not going to be able to support my weight. <laughs> but it must have it must though have been, regardless of any sort of anxiety or nerves you got from it you ended up going back to it so there also must have been a part of it that was exciting or exhilarating or wanted made you want to do it again of course of course yeah it's i i I mean i don't like bungee jumping or parasailing or whatever but i think it's got to be like that because it's the first few times it's it's like that you're scared shitless you can't you know so uh so anytime you survive anything like that it's just like you know, those initial gigs, when you get off stage, and I guess I'm just only speaking for myself, but you could just feel that it was just like a weight just was lifted off of you and you just felt, ah, fuck, that's good, you know? That was, yeah. I'm so glad I did that. So that's that's what it was that, that, that well, I guess continues to. Yeah. Well, I think that thing too is when, you, when you're younger or when you're just, when you're just starting out playing, yeah. turning up loud, turning up really loud, it's cool, especially when you're playing rock music. You want to play as fucking loud as you can, right? So having a room yes. where you're actually allowed to turn the volume up a little bit, that's, that's kind of yeah. nice too, right? It's a bit of a rush. We used so, to, in, in, my, in my youth, we would rehearse at volume. Full, yeah. as loud as we possibly could. <laughs> uh, just because that's what we did. So when did, you, when did you realize that you could sing? And sort of how did that come about? You said, you, obviously... You know, so playing with um, Conrad and your your drummer friend, would you have called that a band, or was that really just more jam sessions and just sort of guys messing around? Not really a band, right? Yeah, I mean, if we called it a band, then that's that's you know, wasn't accurate because yeah, we were never <laughs> we were never paid to play anywhere, and I think that's the only thing yeah. we ever did. So, uh, well, you know, I mean, I knew I could sing when I was a kid. I would sing with my sister and my mom, and. Uh, I guess Kev, you know me well enough because I've told you this story before. But I would, because uh, I was the young, I was younger than my sister, and before puberty, I would sing all of the high harmonies. I'd get all of those ones yeah. way up, and uh, uh, so I, I mean, I guess I knew I could sing back then. But uh, to sing in a rock, a rock band or a blues band or whatever is a whole, a whole different animal. And I didn't figure that out until until much, much later. It was basically when. Uh, when Hundred Acre Woods got going, and uh, we auditioned—I don't know—I don't know, maybe three, four singers. I'm not exactly sure anymore. And yeah. uh, and either they didn't want—they didn't want to play with us or whatever the story was. I don't remember anymore. But it, it just came to be that I was going to sing. And uh, and you know, I just—I guess I—I I guess hopefully I, you know, kind of gradually got better over time. I think you're a great singer. I mean, it's, it's that's funny. I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't actually know that. I didn't know that you. So originally, with with Hundred Acre Woods, then that was your first actual band that you put together. And so you were that gonna, first... you were looking for a singer. You okay? Yeah, that was the first. That was the first uh, actual band that we had that actually played anywhere. And yeah, we tried a few different, a uh, few different vocalists out, and uh, yeah, it just just didn't didn't work. stick. Yeah. And so that was you, Jay. Was that Donnie? Uh, it was 
Kyle Kildaw first, and uh, oh, okay. Neil Garine. Yeah, Dawn. Yeah. Excuse me, came in later. And uh, that's Don, ja- Don ja- Jacobucci, right? That's Don Jacobucci. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, when you was that you and Jay kind of had sort of sat around and decided, well, let's we should put a band together, and was that how the was that the impetus of that of sort of thinking, well, instead of just messing around in a basement, we should maybe try and actually do this. Yeah, that yeah. We used to joke that we were uh, the Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley of 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 the band, <laughs> <laughs> minus the talent. Yeah. Which, which one were you? Uh, <laughs> that was Gene. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it was Jay, it was Jay and I. It was Jay and I that were always the consistent members of that of that band. For yeah. Sure, yeah. So do you remember the first Hundred Acre Woods gig, like your first paid gig, where you actually got paid to play in front of a crowd? Yeah, yes, I do, of course, yeah. It was at, it was at Lydia's, yeah. And okay. uh, I can't remember the guy who operated the bar at the time. I don't remember his name. But uh, we had done a couple little freebie things, a couple little, I forget how it worked, it was Wednesdays, or I don't know. We'd done a couple little things, he saw us play. And so he gave us... a. Uh, Maybe it was a Thursday night. Maybe it was even a Friday. I don't even remember. But he gave us a night. And uh, so we, we, we packed it with our friends. And that was it. We played Lydia's quite a few times after that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, was we used to a- carry We used to carry a, a Hammond M3 organ <laughs> up the back stairs of Lydia's. Rain. <laughs> oh, my God. Rain or shine or snow. And I remember one time at in the winter hauling it out at the end of the gig when everybody was drunk and uh, it's, it's just lucky nobody got hurt <laughs> I was looking at one died really, that really falls from the top of stairs I know yeah I don't know if they weigh but they're got to be a couple hundred pounds I'm not sure. yeah they, they, I know exactly what they weigh enough they weigh enough yeah it's fucking heavy <laughs> so what would, what would have been the set list in that first what would have some of the songs been that you played in that, that first gig oh man oh that very first very very first gig well 100 Acre Woods had an album out eight songs or whatever it was and so we did all of those and then we played uh, we played some Muddy Waters tunes we played uh, we played uh, Will It Go Round Circles by Billy Preston we played uh, holy cow man that's going back Uh, yeah others so it wasn't I mean so like playing Billy Preston because I was going to ask you about that so because I know that when I saw Hundred Acre Woods, obviously it's a blues, blues rock band, mainly yeah. blues sort of oriented. But there were yeah. other things in there, and I, and I wouldn't really call Billy Preston's more, I don't know, his R&B kind of stuff. It's not really blues, right? So yeah. those influences coming in, was that stuff that you just sort of discovered serendipitously and you sort of blended that into the stuff that you wanted to play? Or how did, how did it come about where you sort of strayed away from the rock and the blues and that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, back I guess back in those days, I don't know how we were selecting songs. I mean, I guess I just have to have some sort of an interest in it. As to who sort of turned me on to it, I don't know. Uh, for for every song, I know that you know, Jay Carlson and Neil Garine were were the biggest influences on me at at the time. Uh, yeah, Neil brought lots of songs to the band, and so and so did Jay. And then I guess ultimately, at the end of the day, I'd have to sing them. So if, if, if it didn't work out, then you'd be like, okay, I don't know if I can sing that one, guys. And so we'd move on. But, yeah. but I think we, you know, yeah, we were, uh, 
rock and 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 kind of bluesy but we always had a we always kind of liked playing uh you know funk stuff if we could or or, or whatever we could think we could get away with or, or or do like we used to do people got to move by gino vanelli at one point we did um oh i just had it in my head uh i don't know other stuff yeah i remember because i remember i think the first time i came and saw you i think it was at buds on broadway and that's yeah. when jeff shimos that's when jeff shimos was in the band is how we uh, how we met obviously um yeah not, not obviously obviously to us but um and i remember yeah. you played actually a few songs that i'd never heard so i'd, I'd Believe it or not, I, you were the first person I ever heard play "Superstition" by Stevie Wonder, uh, which is which no. is weird now to think because yeah, I'd, I'd never heard that song. I only knew. Um, I'm sorry for I that. I just called to say I love you, happy uh, happy birthday. There were a few of his songs that I knew, but my family didn't listen to that growing up, and he wasn't quite as big of a deal in UK at the time as I remember. Like I said, certainly not in my house. So right. I remember hearing that song and saying to yeah. Jeff afterwards, oh man, that, that song you played with the... It's like, did Randy write that? He's like, yeah, no, that's Stevie Wonder. I'm like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, and then... Um, uh, he didn't write I'm that. Better off, as, better off As We Are by Blue Rodeo. You guys used to kill that live. It was such a good... That's such a good bar song, you know, because it's got a good beat to it and it's quick and it's you know there's plenty of room in there for solos which you guys always threw you know plenty of those in so i didn't know and so the, the album was out before you played your first gig yeah we had uh, uh yes yes is the answer yeah we had the album out and then we decided we should go out and start playing that that was actually the, <laughs> that was actually the plan uh and that's what we did yeah it's kind of a it's unusual right because most bands that's not the way most bands do it most bands go out and play a crap ton of shitty gigs and then try and find someone who will re- so how did you end up being able to record an album like being able to afford it having the contacts to get it done what's the story behind that jay and i had been playing together for for a while and we ended up meeting kyle kilda who plays with the gong show now he used to play with the touchtone gurus an original band they did a ton of touring and uh kyle was a great drummer and and you know he just he just heard us he came out and jammed heard that we were looking for a drummer, and uh, and quite honestly, he just kind of whipped us into shape. He made us play to a click track, which he had never done before. Yeah. Uh, and so I had all these songs, and he just kind of he just kind of helped us whip them into shape. And and we went to uh, a studio ran by uh, a fellow named Dean Friesen at the time. And uh, if I recall, if my numbers are right, we paid eight hundred dollars, and we recorded eight songs. So was there? Do you ever remember sort of having a, a song that you you guys just loved it, and you know it was kind of yeah, this is we've got to play this song, but a new guy coming in just can't get it, can't figure it out, it just doesn't work. It must be not soul crushing to me, like you know one of your favorite songs in your set, but you can't do it now. Yeah, well, I mean maybe not soul crushing, but but certainly <laughs> sometimes uh, certainly sometimes disappointing, you know. Yeah. And do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy that side of it? Do you enjoy interacting with an audience and kind of do you like that side of things or? It's uh, especially initially, it was extremely challenging uh, uh, for me. I'm not. Uh, I'm far more of an introvert uh, than an extrovert, and yeah. uh, so 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 just being able to talk to the audience with some level of confidence was always was always challenging for me. Uh, I, I, I you know I think I've gotten over it, but. I guess you've seen me play live. I don't talk a lot. I'd rather I'd rather just just play uh, and let the storytellers 
storytell, you know? That's just yeah. kind of not what I do. You know, maybe, you know, maybe maybe it's a skill set I could develop. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've never been a solo performer. I've always had a band. Uh, if if someone starts heckling, you just go, okay, next one, one, two, three, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you drown them out and there you go. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember um, at the Wash and Slosh, and I think it was—I think it was still the Wash and Slosh at that point. I'd come down to see you guys, and yeah. it all kicked off, and the, this big fight started. So you guys just ripped straight into either tiger, and it of just course. reduces people. Like it makes people look really stupid and small straight away. So that's a really cool—it's a neat little thing to be able to do, right? Just having a few one, one or two things in your back pocket that you can go to just in case you need to dissolve a situation. Well, we definitely played a, f- a few clubs where. Uh, uh, a little bit of levity like that was was uh, required in certain yeah. situations. Like <laughs> <For that>. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you called time on Hundred Acre Woods, I remember you played a couple of gigs as like under the under the moniker of Johnny Thunder, including in what is now the Capitol. I believe you guys played the last gig at whatever that venue was called at the time. I don't remember. Yeah, it was- and then you. And then you changed gears and went into a, a pretty different direction with Absolute and Lutely, you know, dropping yeah. a lot of the blue stuff, dropping it. It wasn't really guitar-led anymore. There's still lots of guitar in it, but it's not guitar-driven. Um, yeah. So what caused that sort of direction change into more reggae, funk, you know, blue-eyed soul? What was, was that just a, you would listen to a lot of different things at that time, or what caused yeah. that decision? Well, so first of all, it was Johnny Fever. Fever. Johnny yeah. Thunder's Johnny Thunder's something else, isn't it? It's, that's an old rock yeah, thing, Yeah, Johnny right? Thunder's... Oh, yeah, that's geez. something else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we only played a couple Johnny of gigs as, as Johnny Fever because I was uh, also on the road at that time with the uh, Rolling Stones Tribute Act. And so that was a, just kind of a way that, that we could keep playing uh, Jay, Jeff, and uh, ended up yeah. having a drummer, uh, a drummer named Pat. But uh, the initial idea with Abso Funk, which is... I, I, to your question was there, there, were, there were no bands in town at that time or that I was aware of at least that were playing disco and and disco dance unapologetically that yeah. style of music nobody was doing it so we thought well why don't you know why don't we do it and initially we had you know great big grand ideas of you know like Jeff was going to come on with a, a cane and a top hat and you know we had all these great <laughs> ideas but at the end of the day, we just we just learned a whole bunch of disco tunes and and just gradually we started to add in a little bit of reggae, a little bit of ska, and, and it just kind of happened organically. But the the initial idea of Absolute Funk and Lutely was that it was going to be a disco dance party band, which I think we achieved. But maybe just it, it, the spectrum broadened as. As time went on, we, it was 12 years that band played together, so it was quite a while. Well, and I think, you know, I mean, I've talked to you about that before. If you, like, people who go out and watch live music in Saskatoon to any degree, a lot of people know the name of that band, especially because the name of the band's fairly distinctive. You don't tend to forget the name of that band, right? And everyone yeah. always says that it was a good band to listen to because if you want to go out, have a few drinks and dance, great yeah. band, right? Because you, you, that's what you're playing. You're playing to a dance floor rather than... Yeah. It's not like a you know a music connoisseur. You're not you're not shredding 15 minute guitar solos all the time and and playing all these these jazz licks. It's it's music to move. What's it, music to move your feet to? Is that what you describe it? Oh uh, yeah. Well, I used to say yeah, music for people with feet. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I suppose even if you didn't have feet, you might like it. You, you could still sway if you got no feet. You can still so, sway, right? So, so I was really 
really discriminating against the people who didn't have feet. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just a, and so, I mean, and I think you've taken that into a different direction again now with, um, with Randy Wood's band. And so now it's, you've really focused in on that and you've got, you know, the, the, the horn section that you have with your band now is really prominent and it's just adds such a great dimension to the, to the songs that you're writing. And I'm assuming probably influences the way you write some of those songs too, knowing that you're going to, okay, I'm going to leave space in here because I know that Adam's going to put a, some trumpet in or we're going to put a horn section in there. So what was the, again, what was the kind of curve? Because I know you listen to a lot more sort of jam band funk now. When did you start getting into that stuff more and what, who were some of the bands that kind of pushed you in that direction? Do you remember? Yeah, well, for sure. So, I mean, uh, uh, Lettuce, uh, big big fans of Lettuce, uh, uh, Herbie Hancock, I don't know, uh, it's just so many bands I can't even, I can't even think about it. I'd have to, I'd have to look up my playlist, but that's it was that kind of stuff that that we were listening to we were starting to think well hey what you know we can we can do stuff like that and i gotta say yeah i gotta say uh, I, i'm really lucky to have adam streisel who's a terrific trumpet player connor newton is an amazing sax player he's played on my last two albums and also carter powley out of regina uh super talented uh saxophone player arranger a piano player and uh, you're right, so I'll, I will. I'll write whatever stupid little song I've got in my brain, and I'll leave 16 knowing that that's going to be a horn, a horn line. And I, I don't even. I try not to even think about them or write them myself at all anymore, and just leave it. Just leave it to them. Some of the early days, I used to write some of the horn lines, and ah, they'd complain. Oh, why is it like that? And so it's just better <laughs> off. It's just better off letting them do it because they write better stuff anyhow. So. Uh, so I, I'm really quite lucky in that way with actually with all the players I have Jeff Jeff Asman, amazing talent, seriously. Uh, Mike Pierce, same thing. Amazing drummer can pick up the bass, piano, guitar, or whatever. Play, he can play anything. Uh, so I'm quite lucky. I uh, I uh, you know I think almost every I think yeah it's I'm really lucky is what I'm trying to say. But we've and we've talked about this on occasion too that. That that is a, that's a change as well, right? So going from being the sole songwriter for everything and sort of writing every single part of every song, to then releasing that a little bit, a little bit of that control and saying, okay, well, I know that Carter's going to come up with something awesome. I know that Adam's going to improvise something amazing. Was that? I assume that was probably freeing for you to say, okay, I don't really even need to worry about that because I have that trust in these guys that they're so good that actually, if I give them something, it's going to stifle their creativity and it's not going to make the song better. Yeah, I think maybe that's a bit of maturity thing too, because just letting go a little bit and realizing uh, realizing when you let other people, you know, add their two cents, it's gonna, it's only going to add value. You know what I mean? Because it's always going to turn out better. If, yeah, if yeah. I had advice to anybody, it'll always turn out better if you let somebody uh, have their ideas into your collaboration. Or into and you would just try to br- try to bring that out during practices, just doing rehearsals. You would just okay, like see how this goes. I've got this bit. I've got this lick. This is the this is the, the the general kind of framework. What do you think we can put in here? Is that that's kind of how you would do it? Yeah, it would, yeah, it would be like that. Uh, I guess we had a bit of a luxury because I've been recording albums for quite a while. Uh, often. 
often we would just do it right right in the studio. I'd say, well, here's here's my idea, you know, just kind of sing it. We'd sit around, talk, you know, how, how long should the intro be? And we would often just do it right then and there on, on the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the last two Abso Funk albums, uh, I would say the vast majority of the bass drums, some of the keys and some of the guitars were all live off the floor, just played played to a click track in the studio often often that that day or 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 very shortly after the song was kind of at least finalized in the terms of arrangement so that's yeah. that keeps it pretty exciting too right when you're doing that do you have the whole band in or do you just have you know if you're recording trumpets that day it's just adams there or if you're recording drums there it's just mike there or yeah so i mean i i've done it i've done it always i've done it both both ways I've done it with everybody there. I've done it just one one person at a time. So, so to answer your question, I've done it any matter of ways. Yeah. Is 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 there a way that you find most sort of most creatively satisfying, or, or is it now that you've done it so much, and maybe you're in that position because you've done so much recording and producing that you've had to adapt to every way of doing it, so your comfort level is different. But is there a way that if you had your preference? Would it be all the guys are there and they're all listening and giving feedback? Or would it be, do you like just having that sort of focus of, okay, we're only working on the trumpets today. I really want to get that finished and, and nailed down. I, in my opinion, it's almost always better to do it in the room at the same time with everybody. Uh, you know, obviously, if you can't isolate the horns, maybe they would do it separately. But if they're even there when you're discussing how things are going to go and they can write their lines and rehearse it in between, you know, takes with the band... It's always more, it's always better, it's always more organic, it's always more fun. Uh, and then from a producer standpoint, which is kind of selfish, I guess, is you get uh, way more done if you have everybody there. At, yeah. At, so, you know, one day you can knock out four songs or, or whatever you can get done. Uh, whereas if you, if you bring everybody in piece by piece by piece by piece, then it's, you know, one song can take, a, you know, take a fucking long time. <laughs> I don't know if you like Peter Gabriel. He takes what, like two and a half years to produce an album or to do an album is what nine songs or something. So, yeah. Well, you know, his body of work didn't turn out very good. <laughs> Whatever happened to that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Never heard of him. <laughs> we do. Okay, so yeah, so I did want to talk to you about that. So, when did you first start getting into recording and figuring out that side of things? Because that's a whole different skill set. There's plenty of people who can play and there's some really good players who wouldn't even have the first clue how to record a song, you know, how to set up yeah. mics and all that. So when did you start getting interested in, in recording? Uh, yeah, well, almost almost right away. Because so, first of all, uh, as soon as Jay and I started playing together, we were, we were always we were writing songs right away. Uh, and I, I couldn't afford a studio. I phoned a few. I remember phoning and seeing if I thought I could afford some, some studio time and I couldn't, but I could rent a four track or uh, a reel to reel from uh, uh, yeah. uh, mother, mother's music at the time they were called. Uh, so I just, I just started renting machines and I'd, I'd take the manual home. I'd, I'd talk to the guys at, at the, at the store, you know, whatever insight they had, they would, they'd help you out. Hey man, this is how you do this and how you do that. And, and I just started, I just went for it. I just started recording. I just, I just started and and failed miserably for a long, long time. Yeah. I remember, you know, you listen back and you say, well, how come I can't hear the kick drum like you can hear it on whatever record, you know? 
I didn't know didn't know how to make a kick drum sound big and fat and out front or, or whatever however you wanted to treat it. I just had no idea. It was just yeah. a uh, it was just a total trial by fire. Yeah, and so because and again back in those days we didn't have Google. We didn't have any way of you didn't really have any way of no. discovering that information it, unless you knew someone or you could get you could buy a book sometimes or you, you could go into the Longer McQuaid or Mother's Music and ask someone. But so really we just. It was, yeah, it was trial by fire. You had to just figure that shit out yourself, right? Which I think well, I, there are... I read, I read those like manuals said, at length. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt. I did. I really would. I'd be like, you know, the fuck? What? Oh, you know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure the, the manuals for the equipment, though, were just telling you how to start and stop the equipment and how to... They're not going to tell you how to get you know, to, to make your kick drum sound fat, they're not going to give you that level of information, surely. It's more, <laughs> yeah. well, this is, yeah. this is the on button. This is where it is. But, you know, uh, in recording, it's, there's, so much, there's so much to know and there's so much to struggle with, uh, you know, that the, the, the technical part of it just was I, I just getting a solid signal on tape and where should, where should yeah. that meter be hitting and... And you know what I mean? Like, how many mics do I yeah. need on the drum set? And you know, I, you know, how do I, you know, just all that stuff. Yeah. You know, and having, like you said, having a having a kick drum sound good was the least of my problems. You know, uh, <laughs> but it was still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so how much did that yeah. change things though? But having you know, now you, you move from sort of four track and you're sort of limited to bouncing tracks and and worrying about tape saturation and all those kinds of things going on to Pro Tools, where now you've got sort of, you've got more scope, because you've got more tracks, you've got more sort of effects potential, that kind of thing. But now you're dealing with things like hardware latency, and dealing with things like, you know, computers freezing up, and so what What was the sort of, um, what was the pathway of you getting into the electronic side of things? Was that an easy, natural transition yeah. for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, although, you know, you're 100% right, there was back in those days there was major major latency problems i also couldn't afford the best computer yeah. uh so so you know you just so you just had to find work workarounds for all of that stuff you know and so so that's what i did and i don't know like you're talking about that that place that i that i worked in you know first and it's not like i much came out of it but the first abso funk album Mo, a big chunk of it was recorded just down in that in yep. that little space. So I guess I wasn't limited by it. I was also recording it on a, a I used to call it a, 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 a DigiDesign 001, the most sort of elementary, shittiest, cheapest little Pro Tools rig that you could find. Yep. I'm sure the preamp sucked on it, but that's but that's all I had, and so that's you know that's what I did, and and. Not having to worry about tape and wearing the tape outs and, you know, being able to ed edit things and yeah, yeah, man, it was a whole new world. But do you think it's a yeah. good thing or a bad thing overall that more people are now able to record themselves? Well, okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big question, but I would say, <laughs> I would say obviously it's, it's, it's good that more people can record. Does it mean that there's m more shitty content? Yes, it does. Yeah. Pretty simple. I mean, the, uh, absolutely, the, absolutely. 
the record labels used to be the gatekeepers, and in a way, they still are. Uh, yeah. But but it doesn't it doesn't stop anybody from releasing anything out, out into the world, and if it's good enough, it'll find an audience or it's yeah. promoted well enough or or whatever it is that that is that that intangible thing that every songwriter musician artist wants right if that makes yeah. sense but i think that's the and that's you know from my own experience of recording i know that that's something that was um very much apparent and obvious to me was i can load up reaper and i can i can connect everything up i know how to record yeah. i know how to sequence i know how to do all that kind of stuff i can i can sing i can play i can do all my things but it never comes out sounding like it does when you do it i think what it's done is give people the the platform to get curious about it and to be curious enough about it that maybe eventually they'll want to actually get someone to record it properly for them yeah yeah maybe maybe i i never really thought about it that way but but possibly possibly i mean i guess there's probably a lot of people like me who think well which is what I was when I was young. It's like, well, you know, fuck it, man. I'll just do it myself. I can't afford, yeah, you know. Uh, but but having said that, there's what you gain from from working with a, a, a professional producer or somebody who's recorded, you know, lots. What you would gain from that as an artist is is immeasurable. Uh, and I think that's something that's lost is people don't don't realize that there's there's a lot of value in in. Because, you know, anybody can buy a PC and now most people can afford whatever gear I have. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, maybe they don't have the, the experience, right? Well, in the ear, right? That's the other side of it. As, I mean, as a, and as a producer, yeah. as we start getting into this conversation now about, about production and producing bands and producing artists, you're not yeah. just looking for someone to, to push the button. Okay, anyone can hit record. And a sound engineer, mm-hmm. you know, a good sound engineer is, is going to make sure that the, the signal's strong. There's no interference, yeah. everything's tickety-boo. But a producer's job is different to that because, okay, so instead of me telling you what a producer's job is, you're a producer, you tell me, what do you see the producer's job as being? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, 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 the role of a producer can take on many different aspects. Uh, I think maybe one thing we should say now is that nowadays, well, so in the old days, there would be an engineer. And there'd be a guy running the, the tape and there'd be a producer yeah. and there'd be a coffee runner and there'd be a, you know, there'd be all of that. There'd be a whole staff to make a studio work. Now it's one person. And in this case, it's me. Yeah. Uh, so you so you have to take on all of those roles. You have to know how to place the mic. And then you also have to know how to manage, manage your talent. You have to be able to diplomatically tell them when... I don't know, whatever it is, you know, you have to be able to, to, to talk to people. Um, so, so, uh, so that's what, I think that's what a producer does. I mean, it's just, you know, and then forget about, yeah. So they got to talk about the, the song and the arrangement and the, and the lyrics and, and some people, some people you can suggest things to and they'll take it. Some people just want you to just kind of just shut up and hit record. And, yeah. and you got to feel all those, all those things out. And I've worked in, I would say, all of those situations several several times uh and so you just got to feel it out and just just depends yeah. on what on you know on what on how how the person wants to work with you right uh, but, but at I, the end of the day that's yeah that's 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 basically the the job right 
I can only speak from my own experience with that. And when I bring in songs and I want to sit down and record, um, <laughs> I always think I'm always waiting for one thing. So we'll play through and we'll, we'll kind of lay down a, a scratch track and, and then, then, then you'll say, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Um, and as soon as I hear that, um, it's like, yeah, here comes the hammer. I know something's, something's getting taken out. Something's getting taken out. But, but it's useful as a songwriter, as, as, a, as a songwriter and, and sort of a, uh, especially as a, an amateur or a novice songwriter, you need that person there who can say, have you thought about this? Have you considered doing this? For most people, you need that direction of saying, eh, it, might, eh, it might be a little bit much. You might, that might be dragging a little bit. You need to come into the solo a little bit quicker there or whatever it is, right? So, so that's, that's what I always think a producer is, and that's what I see you, your strength yes. as, is you have a very good ear for knowing how to structure a song and make it work. Oh, well, well thanks. Thanks for that. But I was just going to add to that, because I agree with that, is that... Uh, your producer is objective and they, they don't have their heart poured into that song and they yeah. don't care about that one lyric that just means the world to you. And you know, if it's yeah. weak, it's weak. And if it's, if it's, if it's good, it's good. And, and, yeah. and, and I guess you have to trust your producer. So, you know, do I really trust this guy? Do I, do I trust his opinion? Uh, so that's where it's, it's key to find somebody uh, to work with that you're that you're compatible with in that regard too, because if if you don't respect them or respect their opinion, then there's really not a lot of point in working with them, right? So how do you manage that then? So if someone comes in who you don't actually know, like you know Semco or me or Ray or any of those guys you've actually got a, a personal relationship with, if it's someone who's coming in somewhat cold, do you sit down and just have coffee with them first and get a feel for who they are, and how do you manage that sort of the relationship? Yeah, yeah. Type? Absolutely, yeah. We just usually have a meeting and just kind of hang out, and I'll uh, I'll play them a few things. I usually kind of play people whatever I'm working on, you know. Yeah. Uh, because at the time, because they can, I mean, I like guess they're really interested in working with me. They can find lots of the stuff I've done fairly easily, and and it's just you know you can all you can kind of tell pretty quick if 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 it's going to work. I mean, just kind of get a just kind of get a feeling and. Uh, yeah, that's 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 how I do it. It's exactly how I do it. Again, you know, there's the old thing that you can tell whether you're compatible with a human being within ten to fifteen seconds. You know, you know, especially with like, you know, when you when you're young and single, you can tell right away whether you're gonna be compatible with a, a woman you meet at a bar or whatever it might be. And I think women are even it's probably within two or three seconds for them. They know whether this guy's a schmuck <laughs> or whether they wanna go home with him. But so as a producer though, I'm sure you get the same thing where you probably know Within two minutes of the first song, you think, I'm going to have to do a lot of work on this, or ah, this is going to be a breeze. Yeah, I suppose I suppose I get a bit of a sense of that, but you know, I I, I enjoy working with 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 you know basically, I be, I enjoy working with anybody uh, with whatever skill set that they bring. Yeah, and uh, and I have worked with with a with a variety of people, so. Uh, for me, that's, you know, I mean, I guess unless we just, you know, just, I don't know, they, <laughs> they like Trump or something. I don't know what could really, you know, I don't really know what's gonna, what's gonna, would stop me from working with somebody unless they maybe yeah. they couldn't stand me, I guess. But, you know, I've always sort of admired that about you in a, 
because I'm, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I tend to be a little bit more black and white sometimes with, ah, oh, that's shit. I'm not listening to that. And that guy, you know, <laughs> and, and foolishly can sometimes write off an entire genre or an entire, you know, where you seem to yeah. be a lot. And I think, does that, you think, does that come from working with so many more people where you're a lot more of a generalist where you can appreciate, even if you don't like the music or the genre, you can still appreciate it. Do you think that that comes from that or is that has always been sort of an innate quality that you have, do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I just kind of think that uh, good music is good music and a genre doesn't really matter because, uh, you know, I, I guess anybody that's watching this, Kev and I know each other pretty good. Uh, neither of us really like country music all that much, but there are some terrific, amazing country artists, old and new. Uh, but as a rule, I don't like country. But I've played a lot of country music and I've played yeah. on country albums and it doesn't mean I hate country music all of it I just there's some of it that I think fucking sucks <laughs> you know and, well, and, and the sa yeah. same of a lot of genres right I mean I, I, I don't like all jazz I don't like I don't like all rock and roll I don't like all funk there's some horrible funk music up there terrible right. you know <laughs> you know there's some marginal fucking reggae and terrible you know what I mean there's all kinds of shitty music in every genre and hopefully you can just hopefully if you're working with somebody whatever genre they're working in you can make them a, a good, good good part of that genre whatever it is yeah so you know you, you, so you've been a you, you've played lots of you're a live musician you know working musician you're a producer sound engineer recorder yes. you're a session musician you played in cover bands but you've also done a lot of other projects like working in tv and movie soundtracks doing foley doing post-production doing sound for live sports all those types of things um i have yes was that born I, I don't think that was born um wholly out of economic circumstances shall we say i think mm -hmm. that again that that curiosity that you have to sort of learn the craft of sound sort of end-to-end -end really right. drives you to... That's what I do think that. I mean, I really, I really, I know this. I know this, you still need to get paid. You want to get paid. But you do have that curiosity where you want to, you want to know everything about it. So, you, yeah, that, yeah, that's, no, that's, I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Although, uh, although, <laughs> uh, money has, money has been a, a determining, yeah. major determining factor in a yeah. lot of the jobs I've done. Okay, uh, but, I think so. Probably, yeah, yeah. No, no. But I've done. It's, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. I've done. I've done lots of lots of boom operating. Here, I'll show you my. There we go. I've done Heroic. lots of that, and yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> and I've done uh, I've done a fair bit of of, of post audio post production work, and uh, truthfully, before the tax credit went away, I thought that was was my future. You know, I had wrote some music for a, a, a national television show, and I play guitar and a bunch of you know more local shows and yeah. tons of commercials and jingles and I really thought that's where my future was until a tax credit got pulled out so uh, I'm not sure if that answers your question but that's that's what I got to say yeah for sure I mean I, and what I would say to that is that I think that obviously the the kick to do it is well I can get paid for doing this and I've got a skill set that's mm -hmm. you know it's, it's sort of complimentary and I'm sure I can pick up where to plug the things in in the van to record the hockey. But from talking to you about those things, you always take away useful things that you can use for your own ends later. So, and again, I think that's that thing of creative people generally 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think, like I said, I think that's fair, it, it, and it's true. You know, all all of those different environments, working in because so it's sound is sound. You need a mic, you need a cable, you need a preamp, and you need to record it, and you need to deal with it later, and all. So that there's that. Yeah. But taking that and putting it in all these different environments is what's is what's exciting, and uh, you know, keeping the the the. The mics hot enough in a, a a crazy arena when people are going nuts and the announcers are crying, sc- hollering, and you know, it, it's it's that's exciting, you know. Uh, yeah. Working on the paramedic show, all the kind of stuff we see, uh, and just trying to get trying to get optimum audio again and under these extremely unique yeah. and bizarre circumstances uh, is interesting, and uh, you know, and I like it, and, and you know, it's just. You know, you gotta just you gotta stay cool and stay relaxed, and because yeah. nobody wants uh, an excited audio guy. <laughs> so I want to talk. To you, I want to talk to you a little bit too about. So you've you've done a lot of work with Jay Semko. So you've recorded yes, his recorded his last two albums. Um, you worked with him on the soundtrack. What was the What was the show you guys did? The soundtrack was the crop dusting. Dust so if up. anybody if anybody saw the show Dust Up, um, the music for that was written by Randy and Jay Semko. So Jay Semko, people will know from the Northern Pikes and obviously right. a prolific solo career. Um, but so Randy and Jay have recorded the last two of Jay's albums together, and uh, the not the last one, the one before Flora Vista. I've told you this plenty of times. Is uh, just an incredible album, I, and I like the songs themselves. I love Jay's voice. Yeah. But the production on those albums, they just sound, it's so well produced. Like, it really is fantastic. So do you ever go, do you ever sort of take the time to go back and listen to some of that work and think, you know what, I did a good job on that? Or being the perfectionist and being the sort of, being as a, a producer and a, and a musician, do you ever only ever hear, eh, yeah, change, I wish I kind of changed that, or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know... Uh, you know, there's the old, there's the cliche, and uh, I'll say it, but it's that an album is a snapshot, right? Yeah. In time, it was the best I could do then. It was the best that Jay could do then under under all of those circumstances. Uh, but yes, I do sometimes go back and listen. I and uh, I'm immensely proud of those two albums I did with Jay. I think they, I I do think they sound good. Uh, and I would change very little yeah and one of the beauty of the beauties of producing a guy like jay is his songwriting so strong and uh and then i don't have to worry about all that stuff like if, if i'm producing a song of my own i'm worried about the lyrics and my delivery and my guitar playing and yeah. all those things but when i'm producing jay he's i know he's going to deliver all of those those things and i can just worry about how things sound or, or maybe just my guitar licks or whatever I'm playing on those, those particular tracks. Uh, so it's in that way, it's a really, a really good partnership. And I, and I think, I think ultimately, you know, I think it's pretty effective. I think the last two albums are, are, uh, are pretty strong for, for Jay. I, I think they're, I mean, I've, and I, I didn't know Jay really. I mean, obviously again, not growing up here, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with the Pikes. I know that you'd played yeah. me some stuff early <clears throat> doors, like, you know, go with the problem and, and some of that stuff. Um, yeah. And so I was peripherally aware of them, but when I heard Flora Vista, it it was one of those like, holy fuck, who is this guy? Like this is, it's, it's just the, his voice is just so good, and the songs on that album are so good. 
Yeah. That I was just, I was blown away by that, you know. And so, and the fact that you recorded it on top of that was just, just a little bit weird, you know. It's a little bit surreal. So, um, so is there, you know, so we've talked about playing and now we talked about production and, and collaborating and we talked a little bit about doing some of these other projects. Is there any part yeah. of music and sound recording that you haven't dipped your toes into yet and that you'd like to try? So like in musicals or theatre or lot, is there anything else that you'd like to do? Yeah, I mean, I've toyed around with trying to write a musical on, on a few different occasions. Uh, Sheldon Corbett and I, a good friend of mine, we had kind of started something a few years ago. Uh, <clears throat> I'd love to write a musical. I would love to. Uh, as, far as, as, as far as strictly uh, like a sound thing, I've always wanted to produce uh, uh, some sort of a short story series where I could do the sound design. Okay. Know? That's another thing I've been, I've been interested in doing. But yeah, so yeah, good question. Cool. And so that's just probably Mr. Woods will just drift into that at some point because that seems to be what you do. You just think, ah, fuck it. I'll try it. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast Uh, is another thing, right? This is another thing that we had the harebrained idea a little while ago. Let's just do a podcast. Let's try it. That's right. Yeah. Will anybody watch this? Who knows? We'll see. I guess we'll see. We'll so um, beyond that, then, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, so you're on the board with the local musicians union and with the Jazz Society? Saskatoon so, Jazz Society. That's society. correct, yeah. Um, so how long have you been active in that regard and what pulled you into wanting to be involved in that side of the music scene? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've been a, uh, well, I've been a union, a musician's union member for... I'd have to pull up my first union card, but uh, 15, 15, maybe maybe more years. Yeah. 20, 2000, yeah, at least. At least. And then, uh, <clears throat> so I joined the, 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 the Musicians Union's board first, and it was just, I just thought that uh, for, for musicians in Canada and United States, there is no organization at all that that looks after musicians exclusively. There's always some other thing attached to it. And there's always, you know what I mean? Yeah. So even, even if it's SoCan collecting your royalties or, or whatever, there's nobody who really looks after the musician and their basic needs. And there's nobody that's going to band together and fight for you, except for the Canadian Federation of Musicians, who, which is of course the, the, uh, a smaller arm of the American Federation of Musicians. Okay. So I just thought that, it's it's probably time for me to, to to give back and to try to do something to help other people like like me because there's lots of people like me and uh, and lots of them don't understand the the benefit of banding together. There's all kinds of of, of benefits uh, if whether it's uh, retirement packages or or uh, group insurance rates. Uh, if you're going to tour in the United States, you have to ha- you have to be a, a CFM member. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. Uh, if you get played in the CBC, you get you get paid more. When you play in the jazz uh, festivals, you get paid more. Uh, there's just all kinds of things. So I just thought that that I should do I should do that in in just to, just to help. As far yeah, as yeah, the yeah. Saskatoon Jazz Society, which I've really just a very recent member of, I just came on board there to help with a little bit of their video production because I saw that they had a real a gap in their uh, their video production 
it just was it just a cell phone and they kind of posted yeah. up to Facebook every once in a while and all shaky and sounding really shitty. So <laughs> I just said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll put up a couple cameras to show the people of Saskatoon specifically what happens at, at the basement. Because I think a lot of people just think they hear the word jazz and it scares them. Yeah. They're like, uh, I'm not sure exactly what this jazz stuff is, but I don't think I like it. Uh, there's so much more going on there than just jazz bands. Uh, so I just thought that that was something that I could, I could contribute. And I mean, I play at the basement. I have played there for quite a few years in a row, uh, with, with Absol Funk and Lutely and, and the Randy Woods band. Uh, so there again, I'm just trying to give back. These are, these are not, these are unpaid positions. This is just because anybody that's on these boards, it's just because they want to try to help out and, and, and do more. The basement. Man, like the, you're the first band that I saw in the basement, and I'd never been there before. And it, partially because of what you just said, I'm not a huge jazz guy. Oh, I'm not going to pay twenty four dollars to go watch someone play a sixty eight minute flute solo. That just, you know, I'm going to yeah. do that, you know. But there's so much of the music going on down there, and it's such a great venue. I mean, if you if you like music and you like hearing a good mix in a good room that's set up for music, and it's not, you know, the Spadina Freehouse where you, the band's in the corner and you're kind of and the music, yeah. the, the audio just sucks. It's a great venue yeah. to watch live music. So, yeah, to try to promote that and bring that to a wider audience, I think it's a, a great cause. Exactly. So, and, and, and don't get me wrong, one thing I should say is because they do bring a lot of fantastic jazz down there. Yeah. And a lot of it would, would, would blow you away if you, just, if you just take the time. But if yeah. that's not your thing, it shouldn't, you should still go there. There's lots, lots of great musicians. You, the Randy Woods Band has a new album out. Um, I've had it on regular rotation um, as, a, as a keen fan of yours, as you know. And you know that I love Space Queen. I think it's probably one of my very favorite songs you've written. Where were you at when you wrote this album and what do you think people will take away from it? Yeah, uh, so kind of a tough question because I mean, I wrote, it over, I wrote it over a couple of years. Like uh, basically as soon as I finished uh, the Randy Woods Band album, the first one, I was on to, uh, excuse me, <coughs> I was on to this one. So, but each, each, each song has a little, a little different meaning and, you know, lots of it, especially a few of them were uh, some of my direct experiences uh, from working on the paramedic show and yeah. working and, and seeing uh, a side of, uh, a side of life that uh, uh, I'd never seen before. So, so you should yeah, qualify so that I don't for, know. For, for our listeners. You should just what, the paramedic show is is what. Oh yeah, so I'm the uh, the location audio guy for paramedics emergency response, which is shot here in Saskatoon, where we follow uh, the paramedics around on their nightly nightly duties. So yeah. Yeah, we're pretty close to right. getting through what I wanted to talk to you about, but obviously the world's in a okay, really the world's in a really weird place right now, right? Lots of musicians are struggling. Um, a lot of them are playing live online and finding ways to keep making music and entertaining people. Obviously, you're in a band. You're not. You don't do the solo thing. Have you given any thoughts how you could make that work and sort of make sure that you're staying relevant and in people's imagination during a time when you you just can't play live yeah 
Yeah, well, okay, so uh, we're doing a couple a couple of things. First of all, we're actually doing a version of Be in the Light. Uh, I'm calling it, a, you know, the quarantine jam. So I've played whatever I can here, and I've taped yeah. it live, the actual performance. Uh, and then I just sent it out to uh, Jeff, Dave, Mike, Adam, and they're going to play their parts at home, and they're going to send it here, and I'm going to edit it all together. So uh, that's well underway and we're gonna do another song and then i'm gonna try to we'll see i'm gonna try to maybe adapt one or maybe two of these songs uh in a way that i can at least just do it by myself in in the studio uh and i'll you know i'll try and do it with 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 camera and you know so it's not kind of you know it's not done with mirrors you'll be able to see what i'm what i'm really doing right yeah we're gonna finish um with um some quick fire questions so i have 10 10 questions for you all right, so okay, number one, the Stones or the Beatles? Yeah. Hmm. No question. Oh, I got to answer. You have to answer, yeah. Beatles. <laughs> okay. Beatles, of course. Yeah. Favorite thing in your closet right now? Oh my god, I don't know. My pants? <laughs> I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> okay. What song do you wish you'd written? Oh, something by uh, George Harrison. Okay. What song do you wish you hadn't written? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, well, I've written some stinkers, but usually they don't go on albums, but sometimes they do, so I'll leave against it. <laughs> okay. Sandals or flip-flops? Sandals or flip-flops? Flip-flops. Okay. Best piece of advice you've received from a musician? It's easy to start. It's hard to finish. That applies to so many areas of life. Um, It really does. Favorite beer right now? Uh, Look at that. A beautiful book. Sunny Day by, by the 21st Street Brewery. My favorite brewery in Saskatoon. And Saskatchewan. And probably Canada. (laughs) Okay. Um, The best artist or band that you've seen live? Paul McCartney. Describe your teenage self in three words. Teenage self in three words. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's... uh, uh that's a, good, that's a really good... Three words, Kate. So... Stupid. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know, if I, I don't know if I want to tell the whole truth. I know exactly I was going where you stupid, going with that. Stupid, horny, and broke. I don't know. I don't know. All of those things. And much Excellent. more. Oh, okay, last question then. Who would you most like to perform with, given the opportunity? Oh. Um, who would I most like to perform with? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, you know, Prince would be pretty fun. Yeah. Someone like that. But. Yeah, man. His, his Super Bowl concert. Oh, man alive. Yeah. That was just unreal okay really good so we're gonna wrap things up here um thanks for tuning in folks as we said at the top uh please leave us comments 
we'll had uh, we'll have an email address for you to get in touch with us um, and we'll share our Facebook page and our Twitter handle when we have those uh, we have a pretty ambitious guest list and hopefully we'll be able to get these episodes out to you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis uh, coming up in the next little while um, and it'll give you something to, something to do while you're sitting in COVID isolation and self social distancing so thank you very much yes. and thank you Randy it's been a slice as it always is thanks Kev and 